Director of Chinese Intelligence Operations in the United States, Joe Biden, releases a strategic plan to end America's greatest moral crisis, Islamophobia. Plus, the Biden crime family must now contend with yet another piece of not evidence against Joe Biden's involvement with his son's business dealings. In a landmark ruling overturning more than a century of precedent, the United States judiciary system once again displays its staggering ignorance of basic economic reasoning. Congress heats up this week as Republicans fail to censure neo-Nazi genocidal maniac and U.S. Representative Rashida Tlaib, while Mike Johnson assures us that he's not a terrorist. Meanwhile, the Department of Justice has been spying on members of Congress for six years. But don't worry, we definitely still live in the land of the free. Plus, New Jersey Democrat governor has been caught in yet another example of corruption using taxpayer dollars to buy tickets to a Taylor Swift concert. And Washington, D.C. will now hand out free air tags to help citizens find their stolen cars. Join me in watching the Republic burn in today's episode of History's Greatest Podcast. I'm Eric Giannis, and this is The Eric Giannis Show. Hello, and welcome back. We have a packed show for you today, covering the latest news on our fearless leader, Chairman Joe Biden, as well as the biggest stories in domestic politics and culture. But first, if you feel like you get any value from the show and want to see it continue, please consider subscribing to our Substack Cato's Letters. The Eric Yanis Show and its partner newsletter is a listener-supported podcast. And if you'd like to keep The Eric Yanis Show ad-free, then head to my substack at Eric Yanis to support the show. What do you get for becoming a subscriber of Eric Yanis? So glad you asked. In addition to the weekly show, you will receive my daily newsletters, Cato's Letters, right to your email. These newsletters offer you an overview of the best thinkers on topics of religion, philosophy, economics, and culture. I cover the most controversial debates in our culture today, offering you synthesized, easy-to-read, and humorous reviews on the biggest questions of today's world. Sign up today at ericyanis.substack.com. Again, that's E-R-I-C-Y-A-N-E-S substack.com. Thank you. Now, on with the show. United States President and live-action puppet of the man behind the curtain, Joe Biden, has released a strategic plan to end Islamophobia in the United States. In a statement that was clearly written by someone who can still form a coherent sentence, a person speaking for Joe Biden reminds us all that Joe ran to, quote, restore the soul of our nation, close quote, which 
as we all know, is most threatened by our rampant hatred of the Muslims. And of course, he's quite right. I think we can all remember how Joe's basement campaign in 2020 stirred the nation with his appeals to a moral and spiritual revitalization of the people. What man could be better to, re quote, restore the soul of our nation, close quote, than the single most corrupt president in the United States history, who has spent much of his presidency suing Catholic hospitals for owning candles and labeling Christians as, quote, domestic terrorist extremists, close quote. Of course, those far-right Republican hacks have criticized the statement written by someone pretending to be Joe Biden, claiming that it focuses on the wrong kind of hatred. The Republicans think we should be focused on anti-Jew hatred, of course, but the White House is insistent that Islamophobia ought to be our top concern. That whole hatred of the Jews thing isn't nearly big enough yet to warrant a strategic plan, or even better yet, a trendy phobia word. No, President Biden is most concerned with people fearing the Muslims. And besides, President Biden already announced a national effort to end anti-Semitism back in May. So why should he focus on anti-Jew hatred in the aftermath of the greatest terror attack since 9-11 that was perpetrated by Islamic terrorists? It's not like we're in the midst of a global jihad announced by Muslims. It's not like all the terror attacks globally have been committed by Muslims. It's not like Islamic extremism is solely responsible for the most brutal destabilization of Western society since, I don't know, the 11th century. It's not like over the past few weeks, Western countries have been plagued by violent protests of pro-Palestinian activists. Why should anyone be afraid of Islam right now? Unfortunately, Joe Biden doesn't have time to explain the subtleties of Islamophobia to the nation because he's too busy dealing with yet another piece of no evidence that he's ever been involved in his son's foreign business dealings. The Federalist reported earlier this week that the House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer released a check made directly to Joe Biden to the tune of $40,000 from James Biden. The check was ostensibly for a loan repayment, but a 12-page memorandum has detailed that the money originated from Hunter Biden's Chinese business partners from the energy company CEFC. This money was linked to another prominent piece of not evidence in the case against Joe Biden. As the Federalist reports, quote, After Joe Biden left office at the end of the Obama administration, according to one of Hunter Biden's business partners, the Chinese Communist Connected CEFC sent them a $3 million wire in March of 2017 as a quote-unquote thank you for the Bidens' assistance in furthering their business interests. But the CEFC had committed to investing another $10 million, which an email recovered from Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop indicated would be used to form a joint venture. That email noted Hunter Biden would own a 10% interest in the holding company for the quote-unquote 
big guy, a moniker used for Joe Biden. However, as of the end of July 2017, the $10 million cash infusion had yet to materialize, prompting Hunter Biden to text Zhao on WhatsApp. Quote, I am sitting here with my father and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. I am very concerned that the chairman has either changed his mind or broken our deal without telling me, or that he is unaware of the promises and assurances that have been made have not been kept. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand, and now means tonight, and Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me, again, this is Joe Biden, and every person he knows, and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. Close quote. According to the article by the Federalist, the money soon began flowing after that. Then, on August 14, 2017, Hunter Biden wired $150,000 from his bank account to the Lion Hall Group, the company owned by James and Sarah Biden. Two weeks later, Sarah Biden, quote, signed a withdrawal ticket for $50,000 from the Lion Hall Group bank account, close quote. And on the same day, she deposited that $50,000 into her and James' joint personal checking account. Soon after, on September 3rd, 2017, Sarah Biden signed the $40,000 check payable to none other than the one, the only, Joe Biden. The article continues, quote, significantly, the House memorandum also established that the $40,000 used to supposedly repay a loan to Joe Biden came solely from funds the communist China-connected CEFC paid to Hunter Biden to quote-unquote cooperate with the family. The House Oversight Staff's memorandum made that point clear by detailing, in addition to the flow of funds from CFC to Joe Biden, the balances in the various accounts prior to the receipt of those funds. Close quote. Now, folks, it behooves me to remind you that there is no evidence that Joe Biden was ever directly involved with his son's foreign business dealings. And I think we can agree that this article and its entire story has all the hallmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. Hallmark number one, it's critical of Joe Biden. Hallmark number two, it's inconvenient for democratic narratives. Hallmark number three, it's factual and based on evidence. On the basis of these hallmarks, I fully expect we'll see a signed letter with over 2,000 intelligence officers confirming that Russia was in fact behind this story and that there is still no evidence that Joe Biden was ever directly involved in his son's foreign business dealings. Meanwhile, the big story this week is all about a court case which just awarded $1.8 billion in damages to homeowners. The case was originally brought by a group of home sellers in some Midwestern states. The charge was conspiracy to inflate agent commissions. Conspiracy to inflate agent commissions. Wow, that sounds serious. Well, in fact, 
it's a classic example of judges, juries, and plaintiffs not understanding the difference between economic costs and accounting costs. What do I mean by that? And why is this case decision so important? Well, I'll explain what I mean in a second. But the reason this case is so important is because the plaintiffs are recommending that new rules be imposed on the real estate market that will really hurt home buyers and probably also home sellers. Let me explain. As far as I can tell, this case began when a couple of home sellers took issue with the standard practice of realtors in this country, a phenomenon known as cooperative commissions. Cooperative commissions, what in the heck does that mean? It means that both the home seller's agent and the home buyer's agent receive their commissions from the sale price of the home. In other words, there is one commission rate, let's call it 6%, charged against the sales price of the home. The commission is then split between the seller's agent and the buyer's agent, generally in a 50-50, so that each agent receives roughly 3% of the home price. And this was the original issue of the case. A couple of sellers realized that they were quote-unquote paying for the home buyer's real estate agent. When these sellers requested that the buyer pay their agent's commission, the realtor told them that cooperative commission structures were the standard way of doing business and in fact was the law and that's true. There are several statutes relevant to this case. All of them have been on the books for nearly a century and cooperative commissions are standard in this country. Well, the sellers didn't like that. So they sued the realtors, claiming that the realtors were conspiring to inflate commission rates. How? Because according to the sellers, if the buyer pays their own agent, then the commission rate on the sale price of the home would only be 3% instead of, say, 6%. It's an intuitive argument. Why should the seller be forced to pay a 7% commission when they could just pay a 3% commission? Evidently, the judge and jury agreed, and they found the realtors guilty of conspiracy. The only problem here is that the sellers are completely and totally wrong, and they should go back to college, or better yet, subscribe to my newsletter so they can stop causing everyone problems and making the real estate market so much worse. Why are they wrong? Because of the difference between economic costs and accounting costs. Here's a simple way to understand why this ruling sucks. The sellers think they're getting ripped off because in their minds, they are paying for both the buyer's agent and their own agent. Let's imagine you're selling a home for $300,000. The commission on this home is going to be 6% just to make things simple. 6% of $300,000 is 18 grand. $9,000 will go to your agent and the other $9,000 will go to the buyer's agent. You then receive $282,000 before tax on the sale of your home. You think to yourself, wait a second, why should I lose $18,000 when I only hired one agent? This is ridiculous. The buyer should pay for his agent. Well, this is wrong-headed for two reasons. First, the buyer has just as much reason to think he's paying for your agent's commission. 
After all, he's the one that actually has to come up with the cash to pay for your agent. It's the cost of doing business with you. Additionally, in the vast majority of cases, the home buyer is financing the purchase. So if the commission comes out of the sale price of the home, it makes it easier for a home buyer to buy your property because they can pay for your agent's commission using credit, which actually helps you, the seller. More importantly, however, the $18,000 coming out of the sales the sale price of your home is only an accounting cost to the seller. If the ruling in this case stands and buyers are forced to pay their agents out of their own pockets, then obviously buyers will be less willing to pay higher prices for homes. This is the really critical point, which is generally very difficult for people to see right away, but it's an age-old economic fallacy. The sellers in this case look at their home price as if it has some kind of intrinsic value, that the home price of their property is the intrinsic value of their property, as if the price of their home isn't subject to demand from buyers. But the truth is that the price of anyone's home is just a reflection of what somebody else is willing to pay for it. If courts force buyers to start paying for agents' commissions out of pocket, then buyers will be less willing to pay the same price. Let's go back to our example. You're trying to sell your home for $300,000, and a court has forced buyers in your area to pay for their agent's commission out of pocket. You will suddenly find that no one is willing to pay $300,000 for your house. You will have to lower the cost of your house until you find someone willing to buy. That price, as if by magic, will be $291,000, less than your target price. It's actually going to be much less than that because now a buyer has to pay without the advantage of financing, which will only lower his ability to pay commissions. But for simplicity, let's assume he could pay the $9,000 commission out of pocket. After you pay your agent's commission of 3%, you will be left with, gasp, $282,000 before tax. How could that be? Because the economic costs of doing business in the real estate market haven't changed. The only thing that has changed are your accounting costs. From your perspective, it looks like you're paying only $9,000 in commissions instead of the $18,000. But in reality, you are still paying, quote unquote, $18,000 because now home buyers are only willing to buy your house for $9,000 less than you could have sold it if courts had any understanding of economics. Now, who cares, right? You still end up with the same amount of money. Wrong! Because the reality is you've made buying a home more expensive for the vast majority of home buyers. So in the real world, you will likely end up with less money in your pocket than you would have if you had just let those greedy, awful salesmen get their money. And this point is entirely lost on the jury that just penalized three realtors for damages that never existed. They've just been punished for causing harm 
that never was. I think the worst part of this case is that it's pretty clear that all the realtors were in were in fact in perfect compliance with the law and they weren't even allowed to show that to the jury. The judge literally prevented the defense from showing the jury the relevant statutes and the evidence that they were in perfect compliance with them. So I think it's pretty clear that this this is very likely going to get appealed, that this decision by this court and this judge is going to get appealed. I only hope that if it does, there will be a smarter judge in charge of the trial down the road. Oh, wow. Look at that. That's, that's all the time I've got for today. Um, man, shoot, I didn't have enough time to get to the other stories. Looks like I'll just have to do another show to catch you up on the, on the other stories over the weekend. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong, and always remember, Rashida Tlaib is unquestionably a terrorist. I'm Eric Giannis. This has been another episode of The Eric Giannis Show. And as always, thanks for listening.